Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 12 on the wonderful relationship between Abraham and his servant Eleazar, and we'll study how Abraham took the time with Eleazar to teach and show him how to worship God. Now, we're several weeks into the Summer Blitz. What is the Summer Blitz? It's a Jewish evangelism outreach campaign to reach lost Jewish people. Over 700,000 doors of lost Jewish people around the U.S. and Canada in 15 different cities with 111 missionaries. And we're out to give lost Jewish people information on how the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is Jehovah God who came to become a man to save them. And all the prophecies and fulfillments and information that will help them come to that understanding as God removes that veil and they receive him as their Savior. We take that message to them, not knowing who's ready to receive him by their own free will, but we bring it to them around the nation with our missionaries. Some of them are full-time, part-time, and volunteers. We have 111 out there right now until August 3rd, full-time trying to reach lost Jewish people in these major Jewish cities. If you'd like to support Jewish evangelism and the gospel, not only just going to the Gentiles, but the Jew first, we want to encourage you to support Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries with Tom Cantor. You can do so by sending a donation of any amount to us at 800-247-3051, 247-3051, and also consider being a monthly sponsor. We have evangelists that, and missionaries that work full-time, and we need your support to continue them being out there and being productive with reaching lost Jewish people in malls, in colleges, in retirement homes, and places where we go to to get our missionaries in to reach lost Jewish people before it's too late. Support Jewish evangelism through this Bible teaching radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries. Again, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us about Abraham and his servant, Eleazar. That he gave his only begotten son in John three sixteen. that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the Canaanite part of the world. And as far as God was concerned, when Abraham came into Canaan, God saw that as the opportunity for the Canaanites to find God. And it's the same for us. It's exactly the same for us. We go to work, we end up at work at a certain place, and what's God saying? God's saying, there's workers at that place, and you are my man to influence them for God. We end up in the hospital, and God says, There's nurses and orderlies and doctors at that place, and you are my man to influence them for God. Like Ed Landry, when he ended up at the University of Washington in the hospital for so many months, and he influenced many people for God. And God sends us, like he sent Abraham to those places, to be what is referred to, and turn to this if you like to, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, but it's a verse you're familiar with, where it says, Now then... 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Just as Abraham was an ambassador for Jehovah Jesus, so are we. And just as Abraham beseeched Eliezer of Damascus uh, to be reconciled to Jehovah Jesus, so do we. And just as Abraham took the time to invest in Eliezer of Damascus, 
by teaching him, by showing him, by taking him into confidence and how to pray to God, who God is, how to pray to God, how to worship God, how to abide in God. So do we. And just as Abraham took Eliezer and made him a disciple of Jehovah Jesus, so should we. Because everywhere Abraham went, he was doing that. He was influencing people to be reconciled to God. And notice in verse 7, Genesis 12, 7, where it then says, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And it says in verse 8, And he removed from thence unto a mountain in the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, Ai on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So Abraham's in this place, this place in Canaan. And what does he do? He builds an altar. And there Abraham, then Abraham goes on to another place. And what does he do there? He builds another altar. So everywhere Abraham's going, he's building, an, he's building altars, altars to Jehovah Jesus. And later, we're going to find after Mount Moriah that he goes back to one of his altars that he's built in the past. So that means that when Abraham moved on, he left those altars in place. He didn't take them down. He left them there in place. And those altars were like signposts to everybody else who'd come along. What's that? Oh, that's one of those altars that Abraham built. Oh, so Abraham's building altars all over the land of Canaan. He builds them in Moray. He builds them in Mamre. He builds them in Bethel. He builds them in Moriah. And the Canaanite, he's watching. He's watching Abraham. He's watching build those altars. He's watching Abraham, maybe from far, is worshiping. Look, Abraham's worshiping. There's come some smoke up from those altars, and he's seeing all these altars, and he's watching it. We can imagine the Canaanite asking Abraham, why are you building all these altars? What's with, what's with you? Why are you building all these altars? And Abraham would teach the Canaanite like he taught Eliezer. And he would say, he would teach him about Jehovah Jesus, and he would say, you know, that, and, and as he would teach him, he would beg him, like he did Eliezer, be reconciled to God. The door's open for you. Now turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 2, 14, because this is a description of what Abraham was doing as he was doing all this. It's a description of Abraham, it's a description of us also. Now, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, where it says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, I won't tell you, when I finish reading this, I'm going to ask you a question, so if you weren't paying attention before, maybe now you could, but anyway. All right, and manifest, makes manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. To the other, we are savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for these things? So, where it says there that God makes, uh, causes us to make manifest the savor of his knowledge, where are we making manifest the savor of his knowledge? First question. Not a trick question. Where we are. Yeah, where we are. <laughs> From the verse would be nice. <laughs> the words. Every place. every place. He says every place. Okay. Now, second question. How many parties are we a saver to? How many parties? To the saved and to Okay, two or one, two, three, how many? 
so we look at this verse, look at the verse, okay, and then we'll see it here in verse 15. For we are who? We are unto who? We are unto God, a sweet savor. Okay, and then it says, then it speaks of the other two, which are the saved and the lost. So we are a savor to God, to the saved, and to those who perish. Now, to the first, we are a sweet savor to God and to them that, that uh, are saved. So the first two, we are the sweet savor, the sweet savor. To the last one, we're not such a sweet savor. <laughs> when Paul wrote this, he had in his mind this practice of the Romans. The Romans had lots of practices, not just the crucifixion, many, many cruel things they came up with. They were the masters of cruelty. But anyway, whatever the Romans would conquer a land, they would divide their captives you know, the ones who survived, they would divide their captives into two groups. And one group was a group that devoted themselves to absolute loyalty to the Romans. And they would become the servants of Rome. And the other group didn't, or whatever reason there was, they were the other group, and when they got back to Rome, they would be fed to the wild animals or the games in the Colosseum. They would die. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Would you like tracts to help witness and get the gospel out to your lost Gentile or Jewish friends? Israel Restoration Ministries has a Ten Commandment track, one that we're using in our summer blitz that we're putting out at all of the non-Jewish stores. And it's also geared towards Jewish people, too, in its presentation of the gospel. So for 20 of these Ten Commandment tracts from Israel Restoration Ministries to give to your lost Gentile and Jewish friends, you can donate $20 or more, and we'll send you 20 of these wonderful Ten Commandment tracts. You can call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. These are high-quality, very detailed gospel tracts that you'll enjoy handing out to your friends, and they'll receive them because of that high quality. 800 247 3051-800-247-3051. So both groups would be marched along in the triumphant procession as they came back into Rome. And both groups would be in chains as they came back into Rome. So when they came to Rome, the citizens of the city there in Rome would line the streets and throw flowers and cheer the great procession, but they also had the practice of burning an incense. And so now Paul is focused down and zeroed down on this issue of the incense that's being burned when the procession comes back in. And when the one group of captives there who were going to be the servants, when they smelled the incense, they knew that soon their chains would be taken off and they would be servants, they would live. So that incense was a savor of life unto life. They were going to live. Now, when the other group would uh, smell the incense, they knew that their chains would not be taken off and that they would be killed in the Colosseum of the Games. And so when they smelled the same incense, they knew they'd be killed. So for them, that incense meant that they would die, so that incense was for them a savor of death unto death. Now, when Abraham built his altars there in Canaan, 
and the Canaanites who had responded to Abraham and were reconciled to God, when they saw those altars, Abraham and those altars were a savor of life unto life for them. But when those other Canaanites who rejected Abraham's message of reconciliation to God, when they saw those altars, that reminded them, especially as they saw the dead animals being sacrificed, of the judgment of God and that his altars and Abraham were for them a savor or a reminder or an indication of death unto death. See, now we don't build altars. Well, some of us, but anyway, we don't build altars, but we pray at restaurants before we eat. And when the saved in a restaurant see us pray before we eat, then we're a savor of life unto life. And have you ever had that? Yeah, to you, some people, Christian will come up to you and say, oh, I saw you pray, and, and uh, they're, they're happy, you know, because we're a saver of life unto life. But when the law see us pray at restaurants, that upsets their meal <laughs> because we are a saver or a reminder or an indication of death unto death. So we don't literally build altars as Abraham did, but we do speak openly about the Lord Jesus Christ. And at any time and in any place, without regard for what anybody thinks, when we do that, then we are, as it says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, making manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. In every place. And God smells it. And the saved smell it. And the lost, the perishing, smell it. Now, when the Canaanites saw Abraham's altars and the evidence of the animal sacrifices that Abraham had made, they were looking at Abraham's acts of devotion and worship to God. That's what they were seeing. And that was, as we mentioned for the lost, a constant warning to them. It was a constant warning. Why? Because when they come up to this altar and they saw these dead, the evidence of the dead animals, that was a reminder to them of Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But... When they also saw these altars and they realized Abraham was making all these sacrifices to God, that was, in addition, a reminder of the second part of Romans 6.23, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So they saw these evidences of Abraham and his devotion, and they were warned that the wages of sin was death, and they were also encouraged to follow Abraham and to receive the gift of eternal life through the substitutionary death. That was a message that came across from Abraham's uh, sacrifices there, that eternal life is all about a substitutionary death. And, of course, the great final substitution came in the Lord Jesus Christ when he died for our sins. So when Abraham came into Canaan, God used Abraham to warn the people. And God never leaves anybody to perish without warning him or her in some way. And when Lot went into the city of Sodom, God used him to warn the people of Sodom. And when our lost neighbors see us going off to church, that's a warning to them as well, just like with Abraham. Now, so we come to verse 7, and in verse 7, we're now at a place where Abraham has left Haran, and he's come into the land of Canaan, and the first thing we read about when Abraham has come into the land of Canaan is verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. 
This was the first thing that happened to Abraham when he came into Canaan. Jehovah Jesus appears to Abraham. God appears to Abraham. That's like a welcome gift. (laughs) You know, you're coming into the land of Canaan, Abraham. Welcome. I appear to you. God did that. He appeared to Abraham. And Abraham, he'd never been to Canaan. For Abraham, Canaan might as well be the end of the world for him. He'd never been there. But when he arrived, was this tremendous encouragement for Abraham, as the Lord Jesus Christ said. He says in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go ye therefore into all the world, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, when God appeared to Abraham, he said, unto thy seed will I give this land. So God tells Abraham, this is the land that I promised. I'm going to give this land to your seed. Here it is. And Abraham might have looked around, and he, said, he might have said to himself, nobody knows me. I'm a stranger here, and this is not a barren land. See, that's also another reason why it's pointed out for us here from verse 6. It says he came into the land of Canaan. There was just one problem with Abraham receiving the land of Canaan. The Canaanite was in the land. (laughs) And so Abraham might have said, you know, there's inhabitants in this land. And no one has come up to me and said, you want to buy my land? (laughs) You know, I want to sell you my land. And they just don't look like they're really preparing to move on to some other land. You know, like today, the Palestinians don't look like they're ready to move. And so he might have said, I have no idea how my seed is going to receive this land. No idea. But for Abraham, this is the thing about Abraham, where it speaks about Abraham not staggering at the promise of God through unbelief. Abraham did not bother himself with the how God was going to make this land be possessed by his seed. Abraham saw He saw only that God promised that the land would be his, and God chose not to fill Abraham in on how he was going to do it. He just just chose. That's a choice of God. God doesn't want to tell me how he's going to do it. That's fine. Because for Abraham, that was enough. Abraham could live with letting God be God. Abraham says, i got a great idea. Let's let God be God. And so in that, he's a good example for us. Abraham's a good example for us to trust and let God be God. And let God take care of the how he's going to fulfill his promises. Like Abraham, we just concern ourselves with the what of his promises and let God take care of the how of his promises. And then Abraham responds to God and he appears to him who made him the promise and in the land there. And what does he do? He builds an altar. Verse 7 is very important in the life of Abraham because it says, and the Lord appeared unto Abraham. And then it says, and there builded he an altar. That's a very important word. There builded he an altar. Right in the place where God appeared to Abraham, right after God had renewed the promise to Abraham, there, that's why that word's important, there builded he an altar. He didn't leave that place and then say, you know, I really should have built an altar there. I think I'll go back and build it. No, no. He said right then and there, he built an altar to God. And that shows something in Abraham of his immediate response to God, a response of worship and a response of appreciation to God. Abraham was not a man of delayed worship. He was not a man of delayed appreciation to God. 
Abraham was a man of immediate worship, immediate appreciation to God. As a matter of fact, this is the first act that Abraham did when he came into Canaan. There built he an altar. Does that remind you of someone who we've already studied? Who? Yeah, that's it. Noah, in Genesis 8, 20, where it says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Noah has just emerged from the ark. Noah has just set his foot on this new land. The first thing he does, builds an altar to the Lord. Abraham has just arrived in Canaan. The first thing he does, builds an altar unto the Lord. Whenever I travel and I, and I open the door of my hotel room, first thing I ask, I just unconscious, I ask myself, let's see now, where will I have my devotions tomorrow? In what part of this room am I going to sit or whatever? There was something special about this altar for Abraham. And notice the last part of verse 7. There builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. Now, and it doesn't say that about the next altar that he built. So this altar was a memorial for Abraham. What was the memorial for? This altar was a memorial for the fact that at this place, at this time, the Lord appeared unto me. I will build an altar. And so at that place where Abraham saw Jehovah Jesus, he said, I'm not leaving this place till I build an altar to memorialize the fact that there I saw Jehovah Jesus. And then after Abraham left that place, that altar helped Abraham. He remembered in his mind. I remember the altar I built there. And whenever Abraham would maybe be in the area, that altar was kind of like a magnet for Abraham. Oh, I'm not so far off from that altar. I think we can take a little time. I can take a little time now and just go to that altar. I'd like to go to that altar. I want to sit there and look at that altar and remember the time when God appeared to me. And remember when he promised me. And I got that altar there. And I want to go there and just sit a while and just let it all come back again to me. Does that sound familiar? That's what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is the returning to the altar. Let it all come back again, like a magnet in the week of our journeying through the week. Let it all come back to me again. Let me remember again. This do in remembrance of me. That was one of Abraham's altar reminders. Altar reminders. And when we read our Bibles, or we're in church, or a Bible study, or whatever, and a certain verse just seems to come alive, and we see it in an application to us that we've never seen before, if you're into making notes in your Bible, it's a good thing to put a date by that verse. Maybe a little note, a reminder. That's an altar reminder. Just an altar reminder, like for Abraham. Just like Abraham, he's in the area, he could stop for that altar reminder, remember the day when God appeared to him. We come across that verse in our Bible, see the date, the altar reminder, and just once again remember the time when God spoke to us like he did to Abraham. So what we see in verse 7 is a pattern that characterizes the relationship between God and Abraham. God makes promises to Abraham. They depend on Abraham's obedience to God. Abraham follows through. He makes God his first priority in life. In trusting obedience to the command, he leaves his roots he leaves his friends, he leaves his family, and God speaks, God appears, and then he speaks to Abraham, and he guides and he helps Abraham in his life. That's the pattern we see. God becomes for Abraham the first priority. He becomes for Abraham his desire. He becomes for Abraham his delight in his life. And God takes time, takes time out of, 
takes time out of God's busy schedule. You know, He takes time to fulfill Abraham's desire in his life. And we see God and Abraham just growing closer and closer to each other. That's the message when we look at the life of Abraham of how he's an example for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the God of Abraham. And we pray, dear Lord, that like you were to Abraham, you would be to us. And help us, Lord, to learn as we see Abraham on the way to get closer and closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another great day of studying the Bible and getting closer in our friendship with God here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you'd like more information on Tom Cantor, go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or look for Israel Restoration on YouTube for more videos and teaching from Tom Cantor, as well as at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or go to israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org. We've mentioned that Tom Cantor is the founder of this Jewish evangelism outreach ministry, and as the founder, he has helped to develop materials that we give out to Jewish people. Over 5 million pieces of material have gone out around the world, from Israel to South America to Canada and the U.S. and all over where Jewish people are that are lost and need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Jewish Savior and Messiah. And Jewish people have been held in Satan's bounds long enough, and these death trains that are taking these Jewish people to an eternal holocaust have to be stopped. There has to be a group of believers that will stand up and say no, never again in Israel Restoration Ministries, and Tom Cantor is doing that through an organized mass effort. In the summer blitz going on right now, we need your prayers, but we also need your support. 800-247-3051. We have a free gift for a donation of $40 or more as well. 800-247-3051.